Hello, and welcome to the Burning Castle podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Rinsberg. Each episode, I speak with a changemaker learning to unlock the creative potential of a world caught in chaos. These are the artists, actors, performers, musicians, designers, thinkers, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, activists, chefs, and countless others creating new paths amid crumbling institutions. You can follow us on Twitter at Burning Castle and on Instagram at Burning Castle Podcast. My next guest is Johan Conegre. Johan is what you might call a sommelier of coffee. He, though he grew up in the wine-producing region of Bordeaux, Johan eventually took to coffee with a passion. He's now a curator, roaster, and in some ways an artisan of the craft. Check out this fascinating interview with Johan about the cafe that he helped to create, the Alchemist in Bordeaux, and why it's so important to have places that offer that kind of serenity, a kind of island in time in such a noisy and crowded world. So, Johan Conegra, this is um, this is great to have you on the Burning Castle podcast. Um, I'll give people just a little bit of background so they know where you're coming from and where you are, which is in the great and beautiful and charming and chanting city of Bordeaux um, in the south of France, which is a city that's really near and dear to my heart because I lived there, because I visit there, and I have friends there, and I, I just, it's a very special place. Um, and you, as you'll tell us a little bit more about this, but you own um, and or you run a cafe uh, that's really well known called La Camiste. It's a, it's not what you think when you think. I think you know the traditional French cafe of the Parisian uh, sidewalks. This is really a different kind of experience, and it's really about the coffee, and it's really about the experience of the coffee, which is quite a different notion, I think, even in France. But I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you take over and give us just a little bit about you and yourself and what you're doing um and then we'll take it from there cool well thanks for first thanks for having me um so yeah l'alchemist is uh l'alchemist then uh, with the french uh, the french accent l'alchemist is a is a specialty cafe well it started as a specialty roastery uh, about almost eight years ago now it wasn't funded by me it was funded by my associate author that was um so basically he came back from, to give a little bit of background of where the company started. Um, he started Lachimist eight years ago uh, from scratch, uh, realizing that we didn't drink any good coffee in France back then, especially especially in France and in Italy, because the, the, the culture, you know, the, the strong culture of drinking coffee in those two countries are so, so strong and so deeply rooted that... Um, it's tough for French people and especially Italian people to move on from this uh, kind of tradition of drinking the small bitter, dark, badly roasted and badly, mm-hmm. you know, sourced coffee for, at the bar. So, you know, some countries like Australia, America, England, they, they, didn't, have, they didn't have that much of a, of a culture back then. And, um, and uh, so they, they moved straight, straight ahead from us to the specialty, the specialty coffee. So after from that, he realized that we didn't drink any good coffee in France and started to realizing that we need to do something about it, especially in Bordeaux, mm-hmm. there wasn't any great cafe. So it started La Chimiste, which was only a small corner uh, of a production site uh, as a roastery. And uh, it's been eight years. So now it was him. And then I started along a year after after that, I came along and then 
we became partners in the in the company, and uh, now there's a small team of twelve, and we have a roastery, a production site, and two cafes in the city. Yeah, so you know, I, I think it's like you hear someone telling this story about coffee in France, and you it sounds like you're telling a story from you know the '80s or the '70s, mm-hmm. but it, it's really not, right? It's, it's quite a new thing. Yeah, people are uh, they're so used to drinking black coffee, and it's kind of a I don't know. It's kind of a thing, but um, people have um, people have traveled a, a lot, especially the, mm-hmm. the newer generations, and they realize that not not only coffee, but wine and food in general could mm-hmm. be um, could be something else. You know, especially I'll talk a lot about wine because I'm I'm from originally from a wine background, and especially in Bordeaux, as you can tell, there's a there's a bit of a wine culture here, but. I grew up in the vineyards in Saint-Emilion, which is one of the most, you know, famous village mm-hmm. of, uh, of wine, red wine making uh, village in the world, probably. But um, I have to drink, still drink a lot of wine, but um, I don't drink most of Bordeaux because we have this strong old culture of wine there that Bordeaux and the wine is kind of what Italy and France are for coffee, in a way. We're so uh, deeply rooted in that old-fashioned ways of doing things that people have trouble you know, moving ahead and starting new things and, and, you know, kind of uh, do things differently, I guess, as we do for coffee now. That is, well, so growing up in saint Emilion, that is, that's kind of crazy. I mean, that is, <laughs> it's like saying, you know, to, as growing up as like in, I forget the, the name of the town in, in Italy where the, where they produce Ferraris, but like a, a yeah. car lover going up there, or, you know, that this is the real heart of wine making um, traditionally and probably still today. So that yes, must have been quite something. So you grew up with this, you grew up with wine. I mean, you can't avoid like, it. With backyard was vineyards. And you were living, you were living as like a little, as a boy, as a kid in the vineyards, essentially around around and among vineyards. It's cycling through the vines, this little narrow, very heighted, uh, narrow wine grapes. Uh, It was, yeah, I grew up there. (laughs) And and were you like, were you guys drinking from an earlier age? Were you, know, I know a lot of cultures where there's a, where there's significant. No, that's really, I started, I've been around wine since I was born, but we, we, well, my parents and grandparents did us let's drink wine, <laughs> mm-hmm. even though at like eight or ten we started to asking about it, what did it taste like? But usually you don't like it at this age. So especially these kind of terroirs that are quite quite strong and rich, even though in, in Bordeaux, Saint-Emilion is kind of a, the lightest end of wines in red wines, but still it's mm-hmm. quite heavy, rich tannins wine. So when you're young, you don't usually don't like that. So so you you grew up in in Saint-Emilion. You grew up as a as someone who's connected to wine, um, and it sounded like you ended up working in wine as well. Like, how did what what were you doing? How did you get into it? Well, I didn't get any degrees in wine and stuff, but I've been around wine for as long as I can remember, drinking it, being surrounded by. Because when I started, usually when I started in coffee and more generally in the hospitality business. Mm-hmm. I was really drawn to wine. So I kind of surrounded myself with uh, friends that are either were working in wine or sommeliers or selling wine or, you know, vigneron, but people making wine. So mm-hmm. wine is, was, and is still a very uh, big part of my life. And um, mm-hmm. I do lots of tasting outside of coffee is what I do most probably. And climbing. That's like the three things mm-hmm. I do. That's all I do. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so 
I started working in hospitality, uh, handling, you know, the wine. I used to work in a in this uh, very high-end restaurant in Sydney, and uh, I was taking care, taking care of the wines there, especially because, you know, I was French. I had a bit of knowledge of French wine. I, I wasn't a pro, still not probably about wine, but I I knew a lot of things, so they kind of, kind of put me in place there. And then I shifted quite, I think quite early on to coffee, especially in Australia, but we'll talk about that a bit later, I'm sure. But um, I've been, I'm, I've been, I'm still surrounded by wine all the time. Yeah, for sure. So um, let's just going back a bit. So you're now in Bordeaux um, and just to, for me to fill people in, like you, you help operate and, and, and I think probably play a significant role in the coffee production at L'Alchemist, which is the alchemist in English, which yeah. is this beautiful cafe. And, you know, I'm a coffee lover, like a lot of people out there. I think this is something today that's, it's obviously such a dominant part of uh, global culture. But I think there's a special subset of coffee lover who are also cafe lovers, who are also people who who really are connected to cafes um, and really are, are connected to the real deal. You know, not, not something that's kind of like an imitation of an imitation of and kind of passes by, but something that feels very genuine and very uh, almost like an, a piece of architecture fits a landscape, you know, a cafe that fits its cultural landscape, even the physical landscape. And that's what the alchemist, alchemist really does. It's in this really crazy, wonderful little nook, this niche um, in a back street of Bordeaux. and you sit there on these great tables that are sort of just perfectly proportioned for where you are and where you're sitting and how, and the cobbles that you're sitting on. And you, the view is nothing. The view is kind of a shop across from you, but it works. It all makes sense. It's all, it feels all of a piece. It feels all of one design. And the coffee also is a big part of that, how it's presented, the kind of coffees you serve. Um, and so the question that I have about all this, number one, I wanted to paint a picture for people who've never seen the place, but I also wanted to get a sense from you, you know, how much is it designed like that? How much is it thought through um, in this intentional way, or is it just a product of like trying to do better in each individual area? Huh. Well, um, just to give a little background about that, because you loved it. Most of people loved the, where we are and that mm -hmm. specific street, which is right in the, what we call the golden triangle, which is like the center of center of Bordeaux where everyone mm -hmm. is. Kind of. um, it wasn't, it didn't used to be like that. Um, mm. Bordeaux used to be kind of, especially like back like 10, 12 years ago still, it yep. was gray and dirty and kind of sketchy and dangerous. And then That's right. an old mayor uh, started to shift everything around and, uh, and, and started to be that city that we all know that it's so, so good and so great to be living in. And that specific street where we are, <laughs> well, it was so bad. When mm -hmm. first came in, Arthur found the spot. He was like, yeah, I found this local there. I'm like, why are you sure? The building right across us was falling. So there was mm. like huge wooden uh, stuff that were holding the, the building in place because it was actually falling down. And it was all the, it was the smallest street where there was no street lights and it was so sketchy. And now looking back at it, it was the best decision we ever made. Now this is the, the street that everyone takes. This mm -hmm. everything is food, food, uh, food shops and very great niche chocolate, very high chocolate coffee and wine and stuff like that. So that city, that specific street is, uh, we're, we're glad to be on it because we were probably the first, but now it became something great. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. There's a there's a yeah. flow. There's like a flow of energy through there. There's like a little yeah. like a little uh cultural river that flows there very naturally. Uh, and it all feels that way. But you um to get back to your question about design and setup and ergonomics, I guess, uh if I understood that right. I mean, <clears throat> we what I've I've been a barista for like more than 10 years now, so I've been you know, knowledge now about how to set up stuff and ergonomics and 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 my deep knowledge, especially this first cafe that we have, because now we have another one, but especially this first one was how to set up the bar, how to design everything, what machines to get, how to serve stuff, uh, what product to get, and, uh, and, and everything around hospitality as well. So um, we, we have a strong, we have a strong um, kind of arts. So to put everything in perspective, there's three partners here, like she means the Arthur, uh, me and Virginie, which is um, she doesn't play an operational role really in Alchemist, but she's um, she's an art dealer, so she's she's passionate about art and she mm. knows a lot about art. So we have a strong bond with art at Alchemist, especially. So she helped a lot. Definitely, you can tell with the shop and the materials that we chose and uh, the the paintings and everything that we have right now. We have a this very cool ceramic. Um, show uh that's for sale it's a well we have a lot of stuff going on but so this the, the three of us plus our um, our architect company called bureau baroque which is uh, the one that they're the one that has done uh, they have done the new cafe as well they're based in bordeaux they architects but also the woodworkers so they, they actually design and do the woodwork uh they're wow. the one that helped us and very cool and it, it came it came out Pretty great especially for this this small space it's always mm-hmm. tough uh to design a small space that's lively and easy to to work around in um, so yeah it came came out great so there's um there's a couple of things i wanted to, to mention there one is the the story of black sooty dirty disgusting bordeaux like there's no story that you can tell about bordeaux business culture lifestyle that doesn't include this background story, which is that Bordeaux was just covered the stone. Bordeaux is building of light stone. I don't know exactly what stone it is, but it was covered in black soot, the entire city. And it did not look, as you might imagine, it didn't look great. And then the mayor, um, who was a top ranking figure in the French government, I think he was a a minister as well. He was he he was a top prime minister, right? If I yeah, recall, yeah, yeah. Alain Juppé, yeah, uh, right, Alain Juppé. So prime minister there being um, not the head of government, the head of government being the president, but mm-hmm. still being in a very important role yeah. in the French government, and becomes a mayor of this this relatively small city in the south, which is like a very unusual move to go from like top line national politics to go all to the other end of the spectrum, but he comes in. Juppé and and renovates the city, cleans yeah. it. He sees the he nice. sees the jewel in the rough, and he really pulled it out and physically, literally cleaned the soot off the buildings. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Is that Bordeaux went through this just almost instantaneous? Obviously, it was not instantaneous, but it, it kind of just this flip from one thing, this dark thing, to this bright light thing that is now this mm-hmm. kind of treasure. Um, and you were part of that switch as well and the question i have for you is where in the timeline did that fit in relation to you transitioning from wine to coffee um i guess it all started maybe 
for Bordeaux, I mean, not for us, but maybe like about 10 years ago, uh, in French, Bordeaux was called uh, La Belle Endormie, which means the, um, how can I translate that? The the, the pretty sleepy, I guess. Mm -hmm. you know, sleeping, that, sleeping beauty. Old, it be an old pretty city, but now it's sleepy. There's no one going yeah. there and, and it's kind of dirty and sketchy and gray. And uh, so it, it kind of shifted everything around, started by the docks. There were all these huge warehouse with nothing in it. Just you know, uh, you know, crackheads and, and prostitution back there, and it was kind of sketchy trying out there. And now it's the Chartron neighborhood, which uh, I'm I'm lucky enough to be living in. I've been living there, living there my whole life, and I've, I've lived here. Um, the flat that I'm in is uh, in the Chartron, and I was here when it was sketchy, and I'm here now. It's super <laughs> hypey and bobo, and everyone wants to be here. And the, the real estate is so pricey, but um, so it started here, and uh, I think that kind of kind of get people going on about what Bordeaux could be. And then I mm -hmm. guess the whole city followed. And in in line with us, in well, I guess um, that started with that specific area where Rostri is, which is called Darwin, like, a, like the Australian city. Mm -hmm. It's an old military complex, huge uh, military complex uh, that was renewed into about 100 different companies, but a uh, big um, organic cafe and and a restaurant and gro uh, grocery store and there's a huge skate park and there's loads of uh, associations and there's a big beer brewery and there's uh, lots of things and then we were the one of the first ones to be in that area it's across the river um so for people that never been to bordeaux the, the left bank is where everything's happening that's the old city and the old buildings and everything in the city center and across this across the river on the right bank not much were happening. And um, so Darwin happened about eight years ago. And we were lucky enough to be some of the first ones to be affiliated with Darwin. And we had a small place there. And we're still uh, there now. We have a, this bigger cafe that's 300 square meters there. So we were lucky enough to, be that, to have that spot there eight years ago. And then, yes, almost six years ago, we started to look for shops because we were on that right bank that we were selling to, you know, on our website and to wholesale customers, but people, you know, in the city, uh, they didn't know us really. Um, so we started to look for a shop because Arthur didn't have any knowledge in, in hospitality in service and in, in the barista skills basically. And, and I had that. So me moving into the, um, into the company said, well, we should, uh, should open a shop so we can sell a coffee there and make people taste them. So yeah, we found this spot and then that was right when Bordeaux kind of clicked into place and people realized that the city could be great. But I think mm -hmm. it's been very hype for like three or four years now. Mm -hmm. It's been like that really cool city where uh, all the Parisians want to come and move in because the quality of life is so much better down here. It's, mm -hmm. it's human sized. It's like 30 minutes from the ocean. It's like two hours from Spain in the Pyrenees. It's, everything's slower and it's it's the, yeah the quality of life is way way better now but i think yeah people realized that maybe three or four years ago now that the city is like it's it's banging everything's brand new as you said the dark walls it's not it's not like that anymore it's all mm -hmm. it's all white and clear and it's um it's it's a good city now <laughs> for sure it is yeah it's an amazing city um you know but i also feel like there is a, a let's just say you and I have a, a good friend who's also a cafe lover who introduced us and yeah. um, whose name. One of our biggest uh, regulars, I guess, Jason, if you're talking about him. Jason is who, I, Jason, we've unmasked him. Um, he's definitely one of the most 
and most popular, most regular regulars of all the cafes oh, yeah. in Bordeaux. Oh, yeah. But he kind of talks about you, and he's just a coffee guy in general, and a cafe guy in general, but he talks about you as sort of the coffee man of Bordeaux. That's like, you know, not that you would ever say any of this about yourself, which you never said that, but he, from his point of view, the, the way you approach coffee, um, which is from a hospitality point of view, which oh, yeah. is not to be, you know, I have a, I have a, a, a contact a friend and associate here who's local to me and he is really serious about his roasting like he roasts all the coffee brings beans like if the beans are like a few hours too old he'll just chuck them all throw them um if you don't drink the coffee the right way it gets so and he tell he he'll tell you he he is a coffee nazi like he thinks of himself as a coffee nazi but it doesn't sound like that that's what's going on in your world and yet you still produce something that is so seem to be at least from when I was there and drinking a lot of that coffee uh, consistently good and not just the coffee itself, but also the experience, the, the way that you drink it where and how and who's around you. Um, so that the question I have there is like, how did you get something so hard, so right and to do it consistently? And, and how did you connect with coffee specifically? Well, um, hospitality is a big part of what we do, especially because when I came along and that was, where I learned because I worked in those Michelin star restaurants and very high end, you know, uh, restaurants and cafes where hospitality was a big deal. And it always been a very important part of my life as a, for work and for consumer. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say, well, we'll talk about what we do specifically, but the four pillars of what we do uh, at L'Alchimis is definitely hospitality and service. Mm-hmm. Um, products, the quality of products and, and coffee that we buy. But again, we'll talk about that a bit later on for sure. Um, sustainability, because we are a big part of what we do is, is uh, make sure that we impact as less as possible our planet for sure, because coffee comes from very far away and it's not the most sustainable uh, harvest and, and crop that we can do, but we can implement stuff to make it better for sure. Uh, so all those other stuff that we do, we're trying to do as well as we can, while not, uh, while uh, making sure that people don't really realize that it's there. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. For yes. example, the quality of the product and the coffee that we serve, we're so nerdy. We have no point. Mm-hmm. We have no no clue of how nerdy we get between our baristas and how big and and deep we dig. But that's not what we want to show our customers. If you come in as a coffee nerd and you want to talk about. What is coffee from? What's the processing? What's the fermentation length? What everything? The, everything you want to know, we can talk about that for hours for sure. But if you come as a as a normal guest that wants to have a great coffee and a great experience, you'll have a great coffee that comes from that specific lot from that specific farm that works biodynamic farmings and stuff like that. But we don't want to showcase that in a way that. Uh, people feel uncomfortable coming with us. And, you know, I know that some cafes that are so nerdy and people are kind of like scared to get to go there because they feel like they don't belong at this nerdy place of coffee. And that's great. So great hospitality is a way to make people feel comfortable to get great coffee without feeling the whole geeky experience. That I always tell my team, I want to have like kind of a Michelin star restaurant service with, you know, loud pavement music and the background and tattooed people and people being smiley and and that's it you know i, I want to be casual as, as hell but as as long as the service is perfect and on point that's service is by far the most important part of what we do and it's also the most um the 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 what's the 
the, the hardest to do for sure mm. the service because quality and coffee and stuff like that it's always trials and trial and error and then you, you learn from it but service means humans and humans is the hardest right you know one customer will be different than the other and then you might have not a great day and your staff not chew and this and that you can be sick and and you know it's that's the toughest but that's what what we most brought out proud of and that's what we work on every day for sure yeah. And, you know, I think that's the whole point of it, because as you said, like you can go in as much depth as you want with the coffee itself and you can buy great beans and you can do that at home, probably just as effectively if you really want to put in the time. But that's not what it is really about. I think when people are coming to a place like yours um, or a lot of the places that we've seen pop up in Bordeaux and around the world, they're coming to connect um, in a completely different way than they connect outside. Because when you're outside of that environment, you are your screen. You are all the media that's being streamed into your brain 24-7, just about. Your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram, you're all that shit. And you go to a place like La Camiste, sorry to mispronounce it, but I'll, yeah, I'll just, good. I'm not going to attempt the French. But <laughs> um, <laughs> But when you come to a place like that, all that stuff feels irrelevant. It yeah. feels like an intrusion. It feels like something you don't want there, like a like a freaking alligator just walked up. So you don't engage it. And instead, you open your book, you open your notebook, you talk to the friend next to you, you talk to the stranger next to you, mm. whatever you're doing. And I think that's kind of the, the amazing thing about it. Because again, when you look at, let's say in New York City, where you have you know great coffee, I'm sure, as good as anywhere else, um, but you don't have that. You don't have that experience of being able to stop and to be where you are for an hour, for a full hour, you can be in that seat and you feel like it's the right place to be. And that's not something you find in many places in the world, never mind New York City. But even I would say, you know, Israel, where I am, has a real coffee culture, of course, and people do like to sit. But it's not with that same level of calm, um, this kind of th this designed experience. You know, mm. this thing that's really been thought through from all elements. So that I think is why, why it's such a great place for me in addition to the coffee. But, um, but, you know, I also really do want to think about like, what, about what is the, this wave that we're seeing around the world with regard to coffee? Like one day was just kind of something you ordered from McDonald's or whatever you could find Starbucks if you were lucky. And then to, today it's gone through like not just one revolution, but it feels like two or three big revolutions where yeah. it's, it is changing us. We're changing it. So um, just, you know, what are your thoughts about where coffee is today and what it means to, to this culture that we're in? Uh, well, uh, these waves, as we talk about it in specialty coffee right now, we're in the third, what we call mm -hmm. third wave. Some people talk about the fourth coming up. I don't know what's uh, really all about specifically, but I would I would say that now people uh, are willing and want to know what they drink and eat, you know, uh, mm. what it is, what, it, right. what it's coming from. We're moving past organic in a massive way, you know, like uh, all the big corporations did your organic stuff and, and it was the big thing that was happening 10 to 5 years ago. And and now people really want to know where it's from, you know, what's where, what's the face behind it, how it grows, how much uh, was he paid for it and stuff like that. And it, it's, it's the same for wine, it's the same for spirits, it's the same for food, it's the same for coffee. So I'd say specialty coffee as, a, as an industry. So 
you put everything in perspective because not everyone knows what specialty coffee is, but it's a lot of things at once. But usually specialty coffee is a, cafe, is a coffee that, um, well, is great tasting, obviously. We have, a, we have a scale of 100 as wine. Everything that's above 80, so all the best coffees in the world basically can, mm. can pretend to be specialty coffee. And also, it's not only only taste; it's um, it's also where it's from. So you have full transparency and traceability to the to the coffee that you buy, and you have almost none, or maybe one or two people in the middle of the chain between you, the drinker, the coffee buyer, and the producer. Mm. So, so that's why specialty coffee in general. So that means there's a big broad of stuff in specialty coffee, but it could be. Uh, specialty coffee importers, green coffee buyers, roasteries, cafes, you know, wholesalers. There's going to be a, plenty of people in the middle in that chain, but um, it's growing in a massive way, in a big pace. It's it's exponential now because ten years ago it was only in those main big cities in the world that you could see that. You know, maybe as you said, New York, maybe in the Bay Area, in London, in especially mm-hmm. in Australia, in Sydney, in Melbourne, where they all start in. Seattle, maybe, and stuff like that. But now it's every medium-sized city or maybe small-sized city of at least one specialty cafe. Yeah. So it's something that's that's growing at a very big pace. And as much as you can see that huge, huge companies are taking a huge interest in in specialty coffee because they see they're losing shares of the of that of the of that old market for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some very cool. Um, uh, especially um, Californian brands of specialty ca- cafes and roasteries, they have been bought lately. You know, uh, it was uh, years years back now. But you, you, I don't know if you heard there was those three really big roasteries that were so cool, independent uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, Blue Bottle, uh, mm-hmm. you might have heard, uh, sure. or Town or Intelligentsia. They all been bought mm-hmm. to a point where like it doesn't even make sense. You know, the, you know, I've met the the owner of, uh, back then, the owner of Blue Bottle in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Freeman, what a very cool guy, by the way. And he's um, he started as you know a roasting shed in his backyard, roasting you know with the smallest hand roaster he had, and then building that, building a roastery and a small cafe, and he opened like maybe ten to fifteen cafes in the area years later. And Nestle, there was like they 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 came along and they offered him you know five hundred million for his company. So who says no to that, you know? So it's it's important that to realize and to see those big corporations moving ahead and buying those smaller rosteries and stuff like that, because you can tell there's a big deeper uh, trend going on right. more than just this cool hip cafe with tattooed people that serve, you know, you know, latte art and tulips on top of your cappuccino. It's definitely more than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's this weird tension we're seeing. I mean, you know, I, I write and talk and think about media a lot. And that's the trend that's been happening in media, which is that all these media organizations are owned by the same four or five massive companies. And then you have the emergence of independent media, you know, blogs and podcasts and independent companies. And it feels like this, the same tension, you know, you have this tension between the independent spirit of what you're doing, which is the whole thing, because just like in media, in hospitality as well, the moment profit becomes more important than anything else is the moment you lose the priority of the previous value, whether that value was truth in the case of media or the, the experience of the, the guest in hospitality or in any other industry is the same thing. So this is like the, this, this core tension we're all facing even beyond business, which is 
the individual versus the institution, the mm -hmm. the tribal and the authoritarian and the individualistic and people who are really more on the side of um, liberty and freedom of expression, freedom of action, freedom to be um, independent. So, you know, that's it. I didn't know this was already becoming something that big businesses were starting to pick up on yeah. and to, to maybe even, you know, predate on like they're, they're really just, they gobble it up when they see the opportunity and it becomes a trend because for them, they, the stakes are so low. You know, mm -hmm. if they eat up a company for 10, 20 million, a hundred million dollars, these are, these are hundred billion dollar companies mm -hmm. like, like Nestle. Uh, it's not a significant investment. It's just a great way to hedge their risk. And that's such a damaging yeah. thing. And you, you kind of sh show that they're, you know, in place and cool and they look at like what's going on in, in, in the market for sure. You know, us, even as a small company, we've been approached and we're lucky and very happy to still be independent and we really want to be as long as we can. And we're probably never going to be, uh, you know, saying shares to some other bigger companies that don't know what, what our core values are, you know? Uh, so that's why we're growing at our own pace and, you right. know, it's growing steadily, but upwards every year. So we're very lucky to have that. And especially in France and in Bordeaux where kind of everyone wants to be. So we're in the right place at the right time. We're kind of lucky for that. We're for sure still touching wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it also feels like, you know, Bordeaux is kind of, um, you look at like New York city, which New York city never used to have like the big brand stores like Target and you know, these big American mm. chain stores. And never, you never used to find that really in New York City. And then you did. And then mm. New York started just becoming all of that. Like there was nothing left except for that. All the little bookstores were gone. Um, all the little clothing shops and whatever, whatever was replaced by these huge stores. And you look in London and that's also happening on the high street as well. And maybe in Paris, I'm not as sure. But Bordeaux kind of was still able to, pr to protect its independence a bit because it was late to the game, because it's not a global capital. Um, and you still have that kind of little enclave there. But I imagine that, you know, you're going to have to be fighting for that more and more to keep it. You know, I'm, I'm, I feel like you could be right in the middle of two seats in that regard, because, you know, those big cities, as you mentioned, London, Paris, New York, SF or whatever, they all move towards those huge corporations and companies because there were so many people living in those cities and they kind of, the, the first, the, the, when a trend appeared, it started in, this company, in these uh, big cities, obviously. So as we said, as you said, we are late in that regard, but at the same time as I see and hear people wanting more, as we said, you know, better products, more traceability and stuff like that. So people now, I feel mm -hmm. the new trend is like people moving away from those big corporations. In, mm -hmm. in, it's still not everything and not everyone for sure you can but um i feel like maybe we'll be lucky enough to not be too too damaged by such uh trends because since we're late and the new trend is like people wanting you know more traceability and transparency and better products and and locally grown stuff but i mean maybe we'll be lucky to kind of you know work our way through that in you know in between the, the mm -hmm. droplets yeah I, I hope so, because it's a very special place, um, Bordeaux. But, you know, let's before we wind down, I want to just talk a little bit about coffee itself. So you were talking about um, the rating system that, you know, coffee's 80 and up are, are specialty and consider a certain kind of quality. And also, you know, like guide us a little bit, because we've also we've all heard about um 
Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnays, you know, we've heard about wine varietals and we know that there are different producing regions in the world that are very good, yeah. France and California, but the, there is the same ability to differentiate among coffee um, sourcing and bean types. And, you know, so tell us what you like and tell us where, where you gravitate towards and give us just a little more of that taste. Oh, that's, that uh, could be a very long subject. Um, <laughs> well, basically in coffee, you have uh, what we call commodity market and specialty market. Commodity is maybe like 98% of the market. That's what mm -hmm. everything sold uh, through stock. Uh, so everybody knows uh, the two main species that, that are harvested in the world in, uh, in regard of coffee, which is Robusta and Arabica. Mm -hmm. So Arabica is sold through the New York market actually every year, uh, every day. And London is for uh, Robusta. Um, so basically you have those two species, um, Robusta is very low grown, very high yielding coffee. That's kind of bitter, strong, and not that complex. Mm -hmm. It's very cheap and, you know, there's loads of, um, uh, it's generally big, bigger harvest than Arabica. So usually uh, Robusta is for mostly for commodity coffee. And then you have Arabica, which is, has to have, which is higher, higher grown coffee, Uh, that necessitate a, a specific climate, uh, lower temperatures, less yield. Um, so it's it's more complex, more acidic, less bitter, and also less yielding. So mm -hmm. in specialty coffee, we gravitate to, toward Arabica coffee for sure. And um, Arabica doesn't mean that it's great. It means that it's probably better in a way that we like um, than Robusta. But it's not because you're buying Arabica that is great. You can have ter terrible Arabica and, mm -hmm. and excellent Arabicas. Right. And then when you talk about Arabicas, you have thousands of uh, varietals and, 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 and different varieties and, and, and cultivars and stuff like that, as I mentioned for wine, for cepage and stuff like that in wine. So that you have, you have thousands of different, different ones. And then in regards of where we buy our coffee from, we mainly buy from Central America and East Africa mm -hmm. because for us, it's where the best coffees are and, Uh, just a little background on, on Arabica coffee. Everything comes from from Ethiopia. Without Ethiopia, there weren't any coffee in the world, any Arabica. Right. We all talk about you know those big producers, Brazil, uh, Vietnam, Colombia, but it all started in um, you know in the western parts of Ethiopia. And without 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 Ethiopia, there would not be any coffees in the world. So it's a it's a it's a plant that you know traveled a long way to be planted in different countries. So we definitely love Ethiopia. I've been there a couple of times myself. It's such a, a different country. It's especially for coffee, but mm. humanly as well. It's just it's just crazy down there. And so you have wild coffees that grows everywhere. That's a that's a you know the wild plant there that grows just generally in the forest. Wow. So it's it's, mm -hmm. it's a special place for for coffee. But then you have very good very good producing countries in in East Africa, Kenya, Burundi. Tanzania, uh, Yemen, even though the political geopolitical situation now, uh, even Ethiopia now is at war. So uh, mm -hmm. that's a very difficult part of the world. And then in Central America, you have very, very good producing countries like Colombia, Honduras, Guatemala, Panama, of course, and, and very good coffees in Brazil too. So we buy mainly from, from, from those countries. And we travel to our region every year. We meet and know all the farmers that we buy from. We, there's a, Uh, you can buy two ways. You can buy, let's kind of get geeky and more specific, but you can buy spots, what we, what we call spot. It means you go to a country or not even go there. 
you need to taste a whole bunch of coffees and say, I want to buy that because it's the best. And then next year, it's not there or it's not good, you don't buy it. So that's not how we really want to work. We try to work year after year with the same farmers. So at Alchemist, you won't have a very big broad of different coffees. And year after year, you won't have much of a, of a, of a change, but because you, we really want to work year after year with these farmers that we know and that we like. Uh, so we are dedicated to work with those farmers um, for the long term. So um, we know them. Uh, either way, we buy straight from them and import ourselves for a small part of our coffees, or we work with um, a transport sourcing company called Belco here in Bordeaux, uh, which are great. It's a family-owned business, and they uh, they know a lot about coffee. Uh, they have uh, an office in Addis Abeba, the um, Ethiopian uh, capital, and in Salvador, and now in Colombia. So they're they're on point on on sourcing coffee um and then we get the coffee back to bordeaux we roast it and then we hit away sell it wholesale to any customers on small bags or we just brew it in our bars with our baristas we have two cafes and so you can we have a knowledge of the whole chain which is good uh, because we know where the coffee's from we've been there we know how it's been produced and harvested and then we know how it's been uh, transported and we roast it and we brew it so yeah, and yeah like you said, I mean, it's talk uh, about that for like a whole week. I mean, it's uh, such a deep, deep, deep um, subject. <laughs> how we do stuff and how the the, the coffee market works for sure. It, it is. Um, it's fascinating, and I actually not long ago read a book about um, how the coffee coffee emerged as a commodity in the European exchanges in or i think around the 17th century is a book is a book of fiction by a guy named david liss who will be appearing on the podcast next week okay. um so he'll be out soon he wrote this really great thriller that's based around coffee it's called the coffee trader and nice. it's about uh western europe being introduced for the first time to this bean and they don't nobody knows what it is and they don't see the tidal wave, the economic tidal wave that's coming for the continent, um, except this one, this one trader that the book is based around. So yeah. it's a, it's a really fascinating history. And, and also it's a fascinating present day uh, reality. I, it's something, when I came to Bordeaux, the reason I went there was to write a book, um, also a, a novel and sort of inspired by events that happened to me. But a big part of that book is coffee. Um, it's a fictional story about a guy who goes to Nicaragua and uh, gets lost as, as a good friend of mine had, had done. Um, and when I was there, it's sort of like you see the magic of these, these coffee farms um, in the hills of Nicaragua in the mountains. And it's so beautiful and so alluring and, and coffee itself plays such an important role in those cultures that for me, it became a part of this, this book that I was writing in Bordeaux. So um, the, the loop closes coffee, again. Coffee plays a big role very often in most people's lives for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that's another, that's the other part of this for me, which is something I was thinking of today as I was like grinding beans to make my, my ninth coffee or something insane. I'm like, Asking everyone around me, anyone who comes into my zone, I'm like, do you want coffee? Do you want coffee? My wife walks into the room, like, do you want coffee? And it's like, how, what is this thing? What is it about it that has got us so glued to it? That makes it the most, the number one drink in the entire world after water. What is it about this thing? And that that's the the last question I want to put to you and, and <laughs> kind of explore this insanity we all have. 
I don't know. I can't even answer that for myself. I don't know why I'm so addicted to it. I mean, I'm not that huge of a coffee drinker. I mean, I drink coffee for taste mostly. You know, my girlfriend, she can't mm-hmm. she can't wake up without making a V60 and drinking coffee, and she can't normally function without having without having caffeine in, in her body. But I'm not that type of, of guy, and I can I can be on traveling for three weeks and not having great coffee, and that's fine with me. I, if mm. I'm not drinking coffee, I'd just rather drink good coffee and don't want to be posh or whatever, but I just want to drink great tasting coffee. That's what I like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm drawn to, and most well, as i started as a barista uh, years and years ago my whole goal was to be uh, you know knowledgeable and geeky and about you know barista techniques and coffee and stuff like that and um i came a long way from that so i'm still overly geeky about coffee and stuff like that and all, all of our teams are uh, because of that but now it's more about the story behind it what's mm. what's the farmer doing what's what is gained from it? What um, you know, agri- agricultural practices this specific farmer has, and as I said earlier, the sustainability plays a big part of our company. And so, you know, the, that scoring system in hundred. Obviously, the higher you go, the better the coffee or the more complex. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of cafes and competitions and baristas and stuff like that that are drawn to what we call the ninety plus coffees. Mm-hmm. Everything that's above ninety that are the super rare, very pricey, incredible tasting coffees. Um, I've, I was drawn to that. I'm still drawn to that, but now, uh, I'd rather drink that's a super like specialty geeky nerdy things to say, but I'd rather drink a good 83 that I know that the specific farmer didn't use any specific entrants and pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, fertilizers, and it grows and the farmer, uh, gets to sell it straight to the importer or to the, to the roster and makes an actual living and his kids get to get to school they have a proper home and i'd rather drink an 83 like that than a 90 plus that where the farmers have been exploited and they barely cover the cost of production you know um so complexity and taste as play less of a major role in how we buy and how we brew and what i like about coffee um so that's what i'm drawn to i think Mm -hmm. coffee gets is exciting to people for various di- different reasons. People go in a cafe because they like their, have a heart in their cappuccino. As I said, that's a, actually a big thing. When people, mm-hmm. they don't know much about coffee, they go, they go to a great cafe. And they have latte art in their drinks. That's something that's very appealing. People take pic- pictures and stuff like that. Or it will be the taste, will be the story, will be because of the caffeine. I don't know, there's all mm-hmm. the stuff that I, you know, all together that makes coffee such a, a drink that, nobody understands i would say that um <laughs> me the first one i we know coffee for centuries uh it's as you said after water that's what most people drink uh in the world but also one of the crop that we know less about in mm. the whole world and people don't know much about coffee people expect coffee to grow in bags uh, in the shelves of a supermarket you know they don't know where it's from they don't know what it is they, they don't even know it's a cherry that grows on a tree so mm-hmm. um, it's a big part also what we do is is um is training and making people understand what coffee really is and um that i think that's that's very important and we're still very early on into what we know about coffee and what it's gonna it's gonna the coffee is gonna get to be i guess mm-hmm. um yeah coffee is a great thing <laughs> it's gonna be yeah. less and less of it in a few years we gotta we gotta watch out for the for all what comes ahead 
you know, climate change, all that stuff. Everyone talks about it, but it's the same for coffee. Mm -hmm. More and more people want to grow coffee and less of and less and less land is uh, become uh, habitable for coffee uh, crops. So we're going to see a big, uh, a big, big move up in terms of prices in coffee in the next few years for sure. And people have mm -hmm. to understand why they have to pay more for the coffee. That's the, right. the main thing. Yeah. Um, that's very interesting. Um, thinking about coffee as a story, like anything else, but a very unique story. Um, and a romantic one, you know, I think that's a, a big thing that it engages our sense of romance, even at six in the morning when we're trying to get out the house, it's this thing that, that I don't know, that somehow speaks to what we need, you know, <laughs> and delivers on it every day. And there's something about that, that reliability of having this button you can push in life. Cause you don't really have a lot of that in life. You really don't have that predictability. Um, yeah. It's maybe a that's bubble that you know you're going to enjoy. Even though it's exactly, there, right? exactly. And it's going to make whatever else you're doing a little bit either better or easier. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's a great, that's a great point. I just to realize make. why people love so much work in cafes now kind of makes sense now because people, you know, really want to have a, just coffee when they, when they go and work on the computers or read yeah. or whatever they have to do or meetings have lots of people coming for meetings, you know, there's like yeah. six people coming for like business meetings, drinking coffee. I guess that's makes sense. What, what you're saying for sure. Yeah, I, exactly. Um, so I, I'd say last question, what are you reading? Um, or what do you recommend if there's a book, coffee related book, if, if you're, whatever, if you're reading something right now, it doesn't have to be coffee related. It can be just what you happen to be reading. I'm, I'm, uh, well, I have a shelf, like all that is coffee. So I yes. we can, we can, we can talk, <laughs> we can talk about it for hours. There's, there's a plenty of one really great, um, book that I love about coffee. Uh, is, uh, it's easier. It's for everyone. It's James Hoffman, oh. uh, World Atlas Coffee. He's um, an ex uh, world best barista. He has a company, Rostery, yes. called uh, Square Mile. Uh, very knowledgeable guy, super nice dude, uh, very approachable. And that's could, you kind of could you open it up so I could see what it looks like inside? Yeah. Oh, wow. Everything from barista techniques to, to farming to history. And it's very. Uh, readable, easy to understand, and it's um, very technical at the same time. Uh, so if you had one... So book, again, that's called Coffee by... The World Atlas of Coffee by James Hoffman. Hoffman from Beans yeah. to Brewing Coffee Explored, Explained, and Enjoyed. I'll have to look up James Hoffman to find out who he is because... So he's, like he's man, he has a great YouTube channel that's very approachable. He talks about cool. coffee. Uh, so that's for coffee. The main thing that... Um, that are, that will I would say well there's dozens of books that we can talk about. But right mm -hmm. now what am I reading? I'm reading a Jack Kerouac book uh, on the road. Uh, oh wow your books, you know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He was such a master in such oh, a yeah. weird, weird way. And his yeah. books have this quality about them that you just can't you can't replicate. You can't there's just one of a kind. Yeah. Uh, well, um, you know, inspired that's uh, moving uh, away from the topic here. But as I said, I'm, I'm doing a lot about rock climbing and oh, right. um, the States, uh, away from the Alps here, uh, the States, especially in Yosemite, played a big role in the rock climbing, the rock climbing history. And they all all were reading uh, those, uh, you know, travel and uh, 
and and and, and travel books like uh, Jack Kerouac and stuff like right. that. So, um, so yeah, I've been started to read more and more of um, American uh, American uh, American um, adventure books lately. Uh, it's been great, loving it. It's a great genre and it's a really rich one. Um, I, if you ever want to read a, gr a great adventure story, um, the, the first volume of the biography of Theodore Roosevelt, President Theodore mm -hmm. Roosevelt, um, called um, Theodore Rex. No, sorry. Uh, it was not called that. That was the second one. The first, there's the first one in that series um, is just about this man who lived the most insane adventures um, you just felt called to it over and over, you know, raising Buffalo in the West and uh, fighting a cougar with his bare hands and just crazy, crazy stuff. But it's a great, um, especially climbing. There, there's something I watched the Dawn wall and the, well, the documentary. And it's just, it's something about that. Yeah. These guys, yes. and what you, what you guys do. To me, he's a, he's such an inspiration. A hero. Yeah. That, yes, that's a great movie. In, in what we call, uh, uh, it's a specific area of climbing called adventure climbing because mm -hmm. you also have sport climbing and speed climbing and, 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 and alpinism and stuff like that. that but but he's, in adventure climbing, he's probably the master. He's the best. And he has such a good vision about it. He's so humble. Mm -hmm. he's just, he just works and works and works of what he, on what he wants to do and the project that he has. It's great inspiration for coffee, for climbing, but for everything. For, mm -hmm. yeah. for everything yes. in life. Uh, yes. The push that I, I really recommend everyone. The push, to, the push from Tommy. Cabo. Okay, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy that. He, that he's an amazing, an amazing, amazing individual with an incredible story. That when, especially watching that movie, and your, your jaw, your mouth is already open, and then something else happens, and it drops even lower. You know, you're just like, excuse me. Um, and the way he reacts to these things that happen to him in his life, the these insane instances of adversity is really something and you know you think about yourself and you think oh my god if if i even had a 100th of that and then you start to think well how could i have 100th of it i could surely have 100 maybe i'm not going to achieve what he has in in my version of it but at least to get a fraction of it and i think that is the question and maybe it all begins with a cup of coffee so <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, thank you so much for, for, for doing this. Thank you for joining me here. Um, I'm going to come back and visit soon. I'm going to have a coffee. Maybe we'll, we'll do another conversation. Around. I definitely will. So natural wine for sure. <laughs> so thank you, Jan. Um, tell anyone who wants to know, where do they find you? Where did they find the cafe online in reality? So we're called L'Alchimiste Torrefacteur, which means L'Alchimiste Roastery. Uh, we have uh, one roastery and a cafe within the same space in Darwin uh, on the right bank. Um, mm -hmm. We have the smaller cafe that you visited on the left bank. So we have two spots. If you put Lalchimis coffee on the internet, you'll find us instantly. We have a website. We sell on our website worldwide. Uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah. Uh, if uh, anyone is keen to, um, to come and enjoy and maybe have a talk, uh, you can, Ask for me or anyone on the team on our whatever Facebook, Instagram account or on our website, on our email, whatever. Uh, but if uh, anyone's around and in Bordeaux, we do lots of, uh, you know, uh, public cuppings and coffee tastings that are open and free for everyone. Uh, so 
um, yeah, that's us. <laughs> so um, I'll put a link in to to the relevant places, but just so people know, let's say um, on Instagram, where do they find? How do you spell it? How do you spell it? your the handle? A L C H. Sorry, A L C H I S. No, what I'm saying? What am I saying? <laughs> How do you spell in English for me? Okay, it's A L C H I M I S T E. Uh, and then Tour F Factor, T O R R E F A C T E U R, which is wow. the French word. Nicely for done. Butter. But uh, if you put Lachimis, you'll find it. Lachimis, cool. Bordeaux, whatever, you'll find it. It's so, yeah, so, so play around on Google, those of you who, who didn't get it. Um, it's really worth checking out. It's really worth seeing the, just the photos and, and go to Bordeaux and go visit this incredible <laughs> cafe and look up Johan, have an awesome conversation. So thank you, Johan. Uh, we will be in touch. Maybe in, we'll do round two in person. Cool. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today on the Burning Castle podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Ashley Rinsberg, A-S-H-L-E-Y, R-I-N-D-S-B-E-R-G. And follow the podcast on Twitter at Burning Castle and on Instagram at Burning Castle Podcast. Till next time.